Okay, well, often uh, when we start a sermon, I, I try and find a kind of uh, easy, soft way to kind of get into the, uh, the topic of the sermon today. But I, I thought I'd just skip all of that today and go straight to the heart of it uh, and ask you a question that's just right at the heart of what I want to talk about today. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? What I'm asking you is, do you know where you stand before God? And more than that, if your answer to that is yes, I want to ask you, how do you know? It's one thing to say, yes, I know, I know where I stand before God. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you know? How do you know how you stand before God? It's a vibe thing. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's your answer. I think for some of you, uh, are, are you right with God? Some of us might say, uh, of course, I'm good enough. Of course I'm good. Uh, of course I'm right before you, God, because I'm good. I'm a good person. And the classic line, you'll hear me say it again and again, but the classic line I, I hear actual Australians say to me, I'm a good person, I haven't murdered anyone. And I'm like, do you want a T-shirt for that? Seriously, uh, I'm a good person, I keep the Ten Commandments. And I say, do you know the Ten Commandments? It's a bit problematic, isn't it? So some of us might say, I'm a good person. I'd say, well, how, would, how do you know that you're good? Uh, the second answer, I think, is, is kind of the opposite to that. And some of you might go, oh, I'll never be good enough for God. Yeah, I know, I know where I stand before God. I'm not right before him. I know that I, if you only knew me, if you only knew me, you'd know I, I, I could never be right before God. I'm not good enough. There is a third answer, of course, and we're going to explore that today. But for many of us, we'll answer in one of those two categories straight away. Yeah, of course I'm good enough. Or, no, I, I could never be good enough. Today... I want us to think, where were you looking? What were you looking to when I said, are you right with God? Where did your mind turn to? Where did your heart turn to for confirmation of either how good you are or how bad you are? Where were you looking? And today we're going to suggest that there might be a different place than where I think you went. We're in the book of Galatians and uh, we're looking at uh, a church that's in modern Turkey. And the Apostle Paul's writing to them. He's writing to them, I'm arguing, and, and, and Matthew, that people from Jerusalem have brought a teaching to the church in Galatia in answer to this question. How can you know that you're right before God? And the answer that the Jewish Christians have brought is, work to be good enough by obeying God's holy standard in the law. If you want to know for sure, Christians... Gentile Christians, that you're standing firm before God. Well, here's how. Obey the law, and then you'll know. See, God's written it down in the Bible. We Jews have been living it for centuries. If you want to be right with God, you should pick up his standard and get into it. Start obeying the law, and you'll know for sure that you're right before God. Well, what's the law? You know, don't park in a no-standing zone. Is that, is that what God's talking about? Is that what they're talking about? Your cart and chariot shouldn't be in this? No, not, not what it's talking about. 
when it says the law here, uh, what we're talking about, I'll just give you a quick little overview here. This is my little overview of the Bible in pictures. Uh, if you haven't seen it before, uh, you'll see it at various times. Uh, the law refers to uh, this part in the Old Testament that includes from creation to fall. It includes the account of Noah, that's the rainbow there, the promise to Abraham, the, uh, the uh, exodus from Egypt, that's the, the pyramid there, the giving of the law, and then the wandering in the desert. This, this section here, five books that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, can be referred to as the law. Inside that is actual laws, and they are laws that include things uh, that are moral, uh, to do with, say, for instance, who you should marry. Uh, there are laws that are social, uh, to do with how you live in the land, like the fact that uh, you should have a toilet outside the camp, maybe, or, or something like that. that that's helpful. Uh, there are also uh, ceremonial laws, laws that tell you how to be right before God with sacrifice, or what to do with incense, or what sort of grain offerings to bring. Actual laws about that. Now, I've never done this, Matt. I've never actually checked it up or counted them, but I read, read last night that there are 365 positive ones and 280-something uh, negative ones. Who knows? Uh, the, the big number apparently is 613 laws. Uh, does that sound like a lot? does to me. Uh, the point was that every aspect of the life of God's people was addressed in some way by the laws that God gave him. God saved a people and he said, here is how I want you to live. But hang on, if you're following along and you've been in this series, last week you will have heard Matt bring this before us. Have a look with me. We're, we're in Galatians 3. It'd be good to have that open. Uh, in Galatians 3... Uh, and verse 14, which is on page 1169 of uh, these size Bibles. Uh, just back a page if you were on uh, the, big, the big Bibles. Was it 1771? Uh, it says this, uh, He redeemed us, God redeemed us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through, Jesus, uh, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Well, let's just quickly check. Abraham famous father of the Jewish faith, the first father of the Jewish faith, the one who God gave the promises to. Uh, Gentiles, who are Gentiles? Everyone who's not a Jew. So God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to the Abraham, the Jew, might come to the Gentiles, everyone else, through Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And that's what Matt was talking to us about last week. So what's, how, how does all of that come together, given that these people were asking them to obey the law? Well, let's unpack one of these, uh, one of these pictures here. So uh, I don't know if you can tell there. Can you see what's in the sky? Stars? So God gave Abraham the promise. And uh, we, we had it read for us by joy uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 12, where he says this. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God meets a guy, a guy called Abram, and he says, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I, God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. It's a pretty big promise, isn't it? All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You, Abram, 
will become the center point, the founding point of a plan to bless the entire world. That's pretty good. He then later spoke to him and uh, he said, Abraham was uh, old and crusty uh, and uh, his wife was also old and crusty, far beyond uh, having baby's time. And they still hadn't had a baby, which is very difficult to be a blessing to the world and be a nation if you haven't had any kids yet. And God takes him outside and he says, Abraham, have a look up. Abraham looked up and says, as many as the stars of the sky, so shall your offspring be. And he's going, God, that is a brilliant word picture. I'm loving it. And they're the stars and I don't have a kid. But that was God's promise. So this picture here tells us the promise to be a blessing to the whole world, to have offspring as innumerable as the stars of the sky. That's from Genesis there. A global blessing will be given by promise. God says, I will do it. Whose responsibility is it? You're paying attention, aren't you? Whose responsibility is it? Thank you. Yes, you're exactly right. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's God's. God's promise. Well, let's look a little bit further on. And we see in, the, in Exodus, God saves his people out of Egypt, brings them, into the, uh, brings them out from Egypt, and then says to them, I'm going to give you some laws. And he gives it to them in Exodus uh, 20, uh, 1 to 10. And then he gives them a stack more. Why did he give them laws? The laws were to guide a rescued people. They weren't to save people. He had saved them from Egypt, and now he said, here's how to live. They weren't to save them. God had saved them. They were to guide them in their living. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, Has anyone here made a will? Very good. I've got a little reminder in my um, to-do app. It says, make a will. Uh, I think it's, it now says it's 485 days overdue. <laughs> I can't get to it. I just. Why is it good to have a will? Absolutely. You want to be, exactly. When you die, you want to be able to direct your goods and chattels in the way that you intend for it. It's a good thing to do. If you don't have one, follow my example. Uh, go, go get one, get it sorted out. Uh, That illustration of a will, if it's found and it's signed, can anyone change it? Sorry? The normal answer is no, by the way. Uh, If you've had a court case where someone changes it, I'm sorry to hear that. The normal answer is no. Have a look with me in Galatians chapter 3. We're in Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to have a look at verses 15 to 18. Uh, Paul's trying to explain how the law fits in. And here's what he says to them. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. He says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What's he saying here? You You can't change a covenant that's duly established. You can't change a will. 
so too with God. God made a promise. You can't change the promise. And so he says, the promise preceded the law. And the law coming doesn't strike out the promise. Are you with me? So the other thing came later. It says 430 years later. They spent 430 years in Egypt. After Egypt came the law. Way before that came the promise, yeah? The coming of the law doesn't cross out the promise. The promise still stands. So I think this question naturally flows then. So was the law a mistake? If the promise, if the promise stays, but you get the law, was the law just kind of like a weird plan B that, what's it about? What, why the law? Why do we have the law? And uh, Paul addresses that here. The answer is, no, it wasn't a mistake. In case you're wondering, it wasn't a mistake. The law had two purposes, and we're going to have a look at them in the, in the scripture here. The law had two purposes. I'll put this, uh, this little picture up here. Uh, now, you can't read it. It's actually in two different languages. But it's a fence and it has a red sign on it. Can anyone guess what the sign says? Don't walk on the grass. How do you think people are going with that, incidentally, in the picture there? It's, it's hilarious, isn't it? Uh, for some of us, if there are nicely defined tracks, you may never have thought to walk on the grass. But when there's a sign that says, don't walk on the grass, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Ooh, the grass looks pretty good, doesn't it? it, it just, it's, it's, almost inviting, it's almost inviting a sinful response. The, the Bible says that the law, at some level, by defining out what sin was, caused people to sin. Now, there's a category. Now, it has a name. I wouldn't have thought of doing that, but here's the law telling me not to do it. Ooh. At some level, the law described sin. The other purpose of the law, it says here, and we'll have a look at this in a second, is it was supposed to take them to school. It was supposed to educate them. It was supposed to make them aware that every single aspect of their lives was to be devoted to God. And so I don't know how much time you spent reading the Old Testament, but it, it talks about what sort of fibers you're allowed to weave together in your clothing. It tells you what to do when you have mold in your house. It tells you what to do if you have a sore in your arm. It tells you, as I said, where to go to, go to the toilet. Outside the camp, please, and cover it over. It tells you how to sacrifice to please God. The law was a schoolmaster for the Israelites to say God's vision of holiness isn't, you're going to love this, an hour on Sunday. It's absolutely every single part of your life is under his microscope and expected to be turned in obedience towards him. Have a look with me at uh, verse 23 to 25 here. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. What he's saying was that there was a time and a place 
And the law, when we had it, bound us up. It showed us that we were sinful. It showed us that we fell short of God's holy standard. And it stood there at some level as a stern schoolmaster telling us that we were wrong. But it had a purpose and it had a time. There's a great quote I found during the week. And uh, I normally try and paraphrase these things or whatever. And I just thought, this guy just has absolutely nailed this. He says this, uh, I've never heard of Andrew Jukes before, but here's the quote. Satan would have us to prove ourselves holy by the law, which God gave to prove us sinners. What, what it's saying here is, God gave us the law to show us that we could never live up to his holy standard, that you are utterly unable to be made right, you'll fall at some point. It's an incredible standard. In fact, Jesus says, be perfect then as your heavenly father is perfect. You will fail. And the trick of Satan, though, is to say to you, you'll need to obey the law to be right before God. That's a lie. You'll never prove yourself holy by the law. The law will only condemn you. And in fact, God's purpose was to show us that we were sinful and in need of help. That was its purpose. So what happens when we walk away from obeying the law as a way to get right with God? I, I don't know if you remember this, uh, this very famous uh, promotional campaign. Does anyone remember? United Colours of Benetton? Maybe I'm showing my age here. It's entirely possible. Uh, the, the idea of the... Uh, so it's, a, it's a fashion label called Benetton. And what, what they did was they, they made a habit of putting people from all different races together in their ads and the tagline was the united colours of Benetton. In other words, if you've got enough money to pay for fashionable clothes, you'll be in a really cool group that crosses racial boundaries. What a wonderful high ideal that is. Fashionable clothing unites us. Get your money out and pay us, please, in order to participate in this wonderful vision of the future. Well, I want to show you a much better vision that comes when we don't try and prove ourselves right by the law. Have a look with me at the verses that follow here in Galatians 3. He's just said that the law's job was to keep us locked up, to keep us bound. It was our guardian. And then he says in verse 26, So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Now we can sit here this morning and go, oh yeah, sure, no worries. Um, Australia is supposed to be very egalitarian, isn't it? Uh, which means we, we don't believe in hierarchy. We're, we're, all on the, we're all one class. Theoretically, we're all middle class, I assume. Is that, is that right? No, no one is super rich and no one's super poor because that's just too hard to think about. And so everyone, we're all middle class, aren't we? Well, it's a lie. It's profoundly untrue. In this society, people were split in all sorts of different ways. There was Jew and Gentile. Jew, the people that felt God loved them. Gentile, the people that God clearly didn't like. They weren't part of his chosen precious people. 
there were free people. And there are people who owned people who were called slaves. Do you think they considered themselves to be peers? In no way. There was a massive uh, gender divide, male and female. And listen again then to what is said here. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Where does this radical unity come from? It comes from saying we give up. We can't be right before the law. We are people who trust in Jesus. We've given up trying to be right. We're trusting that he has done everything on our behalf. And by faith, when we are baptized, we're joined into him. We become one with him. We're joined into a body of people who believe. And the amazing thing he then says at the end there, have a look at verse 29, is uh, if you belong to Christ, in other words, if you said, yes, I'm part of Jesus' team, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Sorry? It's one thing to have an awesome vision of a united humanity, but here's the thing. He's saying, actually, actually, if you've been joined into Jesus, you are Abraham's offspring. You're the real people of promise because the plan was always to find its fulfillment in Jesus. So if you're on board with Jesus, that's what was planned all along. You're part of the the stars in the sky. Do you remember that picture? You're part of it by trusting in Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. The special people are actually those who trust in Jesus. That's brilliant. And what that should look like in practice is that all of our previous boundaries will fall down. And Matt, I think you used an illustration last week about uh, kneeling at the, uh, at the communion rail and figuring out the person who's kneeling next to you. This is my brother and my sister. That is profoundly true. So when, when I travelled to Singapore, say 10 years ago, and I'm in a church there, they're my brothers and sisters. When I'm meeting with people from Nigeria, they're my brothers and sisters. We are one in Christ. There is a profoundly real shared humanity because we're trusting in Jesus. True unity is found in Jesus, not in colourful cardigans. So it goes on to say there, though, uh, it says that we're, in verse 29, it says, and heirs according to the promise. Why an heir? Where did that come from? Why do we want to be heirs? Well, we want to think carefully about the promise. We want to be people who inherit the blessing that was given to Abraham. How do we join it? We become heirs. The heir is the person who inherits what was promised. So if we look at Galatians 4, 1 to 7 here, uh, have a look at what he says. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Uh, Do you get the logic here? Uh, I have uh, an eldest daughter. She is the uh, eldest daughter. And if we were living in this time and place, being fair aside, eldest son, I mean, first son, 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 very important. So son's very important. So here's my son, my boy. There he is. Uh, As long as I haven't died, though, does he get the whole property? Except in that pesky parable of the uh, prodigal son, 
in which case the son asked the father, anyway, you know that one, leave that one aside. Ordinarily, until you die, the boy doesn't get anything, does he? So what it's saying is, this boy, although he's the firstborn, although in the will he inherits everything, until the dad dies, he has no higher standard than just a slave. Have a look, uh, verse 2. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, so also, so here's the parallel. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You will inherit the blessing given to Abraham. That has come through Jesus. So can you see why it matters? What Paul's saying here is, you're not made right through the law. You are made right through Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Don't trust in Jesus and then turn back to the law. What's that like? Well, I want you to imagine um, that uh, you're someone who has uh, an issue with, uh, with weight, okay? And uh, it's affecting your health. Now, wonderfully, in New South Wales, uh, there's a free program here, uh, free personal telephone health coaching. Who knew? Um, and it's your guide to getting healthy. And if you get in touch with these guys, they will get you healthy, they'll get you active, um, they'll help you well, watch your weight, and they'll communicate with you regularly. Uh, so imagine that you're facing uh, a situation where your health can be compromised by your weight. And someone has said, here's a way that we can help you be right, get you, literally save your life, and it's free. And you leave, you set them up and go, here you go, guys, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save you, it's brilliant, just trust in, it's all free, it's all been done, they'll call you, they'll look after you, you'll be safe. Go away and tell some other people the good news, and while you're away, some teachers come in, and they say, junk food is good. Really, it is. You will be a more alert person if you have a full Coke. None of this zero stuff. You want to get the full hit of sugar. If you want your brain to work properly, you make sure you're sucking down the red one and not the black one, yeah? Double up those patties. You'll be stronger. Now, we can laugh at that, can't we? But I want you to think into that situation what it would mean for the person. It will kill them if they persist in it, won't it? Yep. It will kill them. And so this isn't just an idly distracting message. It's actually taking them away from the truth that would save them and will kill them. How do you think Paul feels about that? No, church. Grace by faith in the promise to Abraham. Hang on to it. Don't turn back to the law. It only ever killed you. You will never be right that way. Okay, here we're going for application. What do you do with that, hey? How do we apply it? 
Well, I want you to get something. There's three things I want to say today by way of application. Three things. I want you to get that the promise started to Abraham here was never rebuked. It still stands today. God gave a promise and he will keep his promise. That promise stands. Secondly, I want you to understand that the law had a season. It had a season. It was appropriate as a way to point out sin and to act as a schoolmaster. So we went, Lord, how on earth can anyone live up to this law? And God goes, I'm so glad you asked. Because the promise has a fulfillment in Jesus who fulfilled the law, died to pay the price for our sin, was raised so that we might be justified and now offers it freely to us by faith. The promise was never stopped. The fulfillment of the promise came. And now we live in the day of promise. The season of the law, done. I want you to get that. It'll never make you right. Well, what does that mean for us? I want you to give up something. When it said at the start, how can you know if you're right before God? Where do you look? If you look here, you're in trouble. Not, not I'm not going to you know, whack you on the wrist or something with a ruler or something like that, but, but you're in danger. If the answer to how do I know if I'm right before God comes from, oh, I'll look inside myself and see, am I a good person? How am I doing with myself? I think I'm a good person. I want to say to you, give up. You know yourself well enough to know that you're not a good person. Stop pretending. Secondly, I want you to turn your eyes here. God, how can I know if I'll ever be right before you? If you're looking to yourself, you will always be living in uncertainty. The only way to know for sure is to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus has done everything. He has fulfilled the law. He has offered me forgiveness freely. If you want to know how you can stand full and confident before God to find a life that's truly made new, it's only ever found in Jesus. And the reason that gives me great confidence is it doesn't depend on how I've done today. Am I having a good day? Am I having a go to heaven day? Oh, car cut me in. No, not having a going to heaven day today. We constantly are living in this uncertainty. Get rid of it. Look to Jesus and find security, the only place for security. I want you to write something out. There's actually a little card. I don't know if we've got enough of these. I've got a little piece of paper that looks like this. Can you hunt around and see if you can find one? Uh, It has on the top of it new life. Can you see that? It's a white piece of paper. If you can't find one, you might as well use your Care and Connect card and just turn it over. That'd be great. Um, I want you to have a look with me at, uh, at this bit at the end here. Uh, verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What I want you to write on here, here's my application. I want you to write, I am no longer a slave, Assuming that you've made the decision to trust Jesus, I would love you to write down, I am no longer a slave. I am God's child. 
God's son, God's heir. And if at the moment here some ladies are thinking, oh gee, that's a bit much, isn't it? I don't want to be God's son. All I'd say to you is the point is, at this time and place, the son inherits, all right? And it's perfectly appropriate, ladies, for you to inherit with the men. You are a son, in inverted commas. It's not a gender thing. It's telling you you will inherit. If you need to write you're a daughter, but you get that it's about the fact that you're inheriting, go for gold. You are not a slave any longer. You don't need to be. You have the wonderful privilege of being called God's child, God's son, and God's heir. How is all that possible? By faith in the promised one, Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to get the place of the law, that it was to show us your holy standard, a standard we could never live up to and point us towards Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to give up looking to ourselves to know if we'll be right before you and that we might look instead to the fulfillment of your promise, who's Jesus. Father, would you write deep in our hearts by your spirit who enables us to say, Abba, Father, that we are your children and that we will inherit with Abraham. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.